Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all on Keeping Up With The Current. Get your news fix for the day. Stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on Keeping Up With The Current. And now, let's seek expert advice on an issue that affects you. If you have a question, we'll ask it. If you're keen to know about it, we'll get the answer for you. We'll keep you informed and up to date on The Current. Well, hello everyone. My name is Nadia and this is 2MFM Radio. We are broadcasting on 92.1 FM, DAB Plus and online at 2MFM.org. Today we'll be talking about the pros and cons of electric vehicles. And if just thinking about owning an electric vehicle fills your head with so many questions, maybe plugging into these insightful answers today can help you find what you're looking for. From the costs of owning an EV to its environmental impact, its fuel efficiency and safety on the road. You'll receive insight into what you need to know to make your decision about owning an electric vehicle. Joining me today for that is Toby Hagon, one of Australia's top motoring journalists and experts and currently the EV Central Editor. Toby, welcome to the program. Thanks, Nadia. Firstly, talk to us about your experience as a motoring journalist and editor. I understand that you've published a number of articles. Tell us about the kind of work you're involved in. Yeah, well, look, I've driven well pretty much every type of car over decades. I've I've, uh, always sort of reported on the industry generally. And uh, obviously, I guess up until the last few years, it's predominantly been petrol and diesel powered vehicles. But certainly in the last couple of years, we've seen a massive uh, shift from the car manufacturers and from new car buyers showing a lot more interest in electric vehicles to the point where these days, every manufacturer around the world, without any exception, is either working on electric cars uh, or actually building them and selling them now. And it's, you know, that goes all the way from your budget brands up, up through to the Rolls Royces and Ferraris and so on. They're all working on them. And it's very rare in this industry that we get a technology like that that uh, is looking like transforming the industry and doing it fairly quickly. Now, Australians thinking of buying an EV are flooded with information and opinion as the cars have become more popular. And a lot of people have been compelled to make the change due to a number of factors, predominantly, as we know, the staggering price hike of petrol in our country. So give us a rundown of what exactly an electric vehicle is, what are the standard features of it, and essentially how does it work? Yeah, well, I guess, look, for for most people, an electric car, a lot of the components of an electric car are going to be more or less the same as, as what you've got in your regular car. You've got four wheels, most of them have got four doors, and, you know, they've got a sound system and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of similarities there between a petrol-powered car and between an electric vehicle. But I guess the difference is once you pop the bonnet, um, and in a lot of cases an electric car has uh, uh, um, some storage under the bonnet, so you've got an extra uh, storage area because they don't have that big chunk of metal that's the engine. 
but they also obviously don't have uh, all those petrol bits, the fuel tank and the and the gearbox and the uh, and the the engine and so on. So instead, you've got an electric motor, sometimes two electric motors, and they typically have a battery pack in the floor. So a big long battery pack that can weigh around about half a ton in a lot of them, and that sort of takes out the base of the car. And uh, electric motors are pretty simple things. They're, um, they're, you know, we use them in, in a hell of a lot of things in our in our world. So we've got um, electric motors all over the place. They don't necessarily, or they don't usually require any maintenance. So they're very simple from that perspective. They have very few moving parts, and they can produce quite a lot of torque or pulling power. So that sort of uh, performance that that sort of shoves you back in your seat when you go to um, to uh, take off from a set of lights. So mm. from a performance perspective, they can actually be pretty strong. They can actually have uh, very quick acceleration and um, and obviously uh, be be fairly easy to drive. I guess the difference for most people, you don't have that noise, you don't have the sound, there's no engine starting when you first get in the car. But uh, most people are pretty surprised with the performance you can get from them. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's certainly a... Um, a very different driving experience. The other mm. thing you have with an electric car is a thing called regenerative braking. So, you know, normally in, in most cars, when you lift off the accelerator, the car will sort of coast. It'll eventually come to a stop, but it'll it'll just sort of coast and, um, and, and mostly maintain its speed. But in an electric car, when you lift off the accelerator, you'll often get, it's almost like you're pressing the brake slightly. So you get this thing called regenerative braking, where the electric motor effectively reverses its flow. So instead of using electricity, it turns into a generator and creates electricity and that electricity can be put back in the battery pack so you you save some of that energy that you would normally lose during braking and then you can lose it you can use it so the next time you go to take off at a set of lights so that's one of the reasons electric vehicles are quite efficient is because they they do have that ability to capture energy and to reuse it every time you hit the brakes and i understand there are a few types of electrified vehicles among them are hybrids and plug-in hybrids so talk to us about how they differ from one another yeah so there's probably four main types of electrified vehicles so your hybrid vehicles we've had in australia now for more than 20 years um, it combines a petrol engine with an electric motor. Um, so that regenerative braking that I touched on earlier, you get that benefit with a hybrid car, but you also get the benefit of um, of a petrol engine. So you still refuel it with petrol. Uh, you can travel as far as you want on the, using the existing refueling network that uh, obviously covers the entire country. Um, you just use less fuel because of that uh, that electric assistance and that um, that ability to uh, to do that regenerative braking. So. Hybrid cars can use around half the fuel of a uh, of a regular petrol-powered car. You then step up to the petrol, uh, the, sorry, the plug-in hybrid electric vehicles or FEVs, as some people call them, and uh, they just take that hybrid thinking to the next level. So you get a bigger battery, you get a larger battery pack in there. They can drive on electricity alone for usually between about um, 40 and 100 kilometres. They can be recharged from a regular power point. And um, and then once you do run out of that charge after that 40 or 100 kilometres, you can then uh, revert to a, what is effectively a regular hybrid car. So you're not really constrained. You don't have to, um, you know, you can travel again as far as you want. But for most people, most of the time, they can just recharge every night and have that uh, electric benefit there. Then you've got the battery electric vehicles, which I guess are the ones that have been in the headlines recently. So you're... Um, you know, your Teslas and, and those sorts of things. So that's where it is pure electricity, much bigger battery pack, and uh, they have to be recharged to uh, to keep them going. Fairly simple um, formula there. And the fourth one, which doesn't get a whole lot of a look in, is um, fuel cell electric vehicles. So they run on hydrogen, and what they basically do is replace that big battery pack with a hydrogen fuel tank, 
or sometimes two or three hydrogen fuel tanks. And they've got a thing called a fuel cell, which creates a, um, does, a does a chemical reaction to create electricity and then uh, and then uh, runs it runs it through an electric motor. So they drive exactly the same as an electric car, a battery electric car, but uh, instead of that big battery pack, you've got a, a hydrogen fuel tank. And the advantage there is if we ever get to the point where we have hydrogen refueling stations, um, they can refuel in about the same time as a petrol car, four or five minutes, something like that, and you can be fully refueled. So it takes out that uh, that longer charging time, which is one of the negatives with battery electric vehicles. Talk to us about how the charging works. I mean, with the plug-in hybrids, how long does it typically take to charge if you're doing it overnight, let's say? Yeah, so this is this is something that a lot of people ask with, with the battery electric cars and with, with um, plug-in hybrids, how long does it take to charge? And it's sort of like asking how long is a piece of string because it depends on so many factors. It depends on what you're plugging it into to recharge. It depends on the car, and it can also depend on the temperature and what the uh, what the ambient temperature is doing at the time. So, so basically, how fast a car will charge comes down to the power coming out of the uh, out of the, the the thing that you're plugging it into. So, at home, for example, your home power point usually makes 2.3 kilowatts of power, which is not much, but it's obviously fine for, you know, kettles and toasters and um, and uh, washing machines and so on. But it's going to take you quite a while. So a, um, a regular um, electric, full battery electric car might take, for example, 20 to 30 hours, sometimes 40 hours to do a complete charge on that, uh, on that slow charger, that 2.3 kilowatt home charger. Plug-in hybrids are a bit different. They've got smaller batteries, so they will generally very easily charge overnight with a um, with a regular home power point. Uh, but you then go to the public charging stations, which um, can provide in some cases up to 350 kilowatts of power. So, so more than 150 times what you get out of your regular power point at home. So once you're plugging into one of those, you can get an extremely quick charge. In some cases, you can put in around about 300 kilometers of driving range in about 15 or 20 minutes. So it can uh, can top up the car very quickly. But again, I mentioned the temperature side of it. So it's um, so in extreme mm. cold temperatures, for example, we're talking in a negative 10, negative 20 degrees, the car will actually slow down the charge. So the car itself regulates how much electricity it will take on. So even though you're plugging it into that 350 kilowatt charger, it may not have the capacity to take that and it may not want to take that because of what uh, what the temperature and so on is doing. So there's there's no fixed rate at which they'll charge once you start plugging into those fast chargers. But in today's in with the technology we've got today, the fastest charge you can do, as I said, you'll put in about 300 kilometres of range in 15 or 20 minutes, and the slowest is your home power point, and that'll take um, you know take as I said sometimes up to 40 odd hours. But um, mm. but you know a lot of people when they're home charging they'll fit what's called a wall box. So one of those, just sort of a basic um, plug that goes onto your wall. And that'll typically provide about 7.4 kilowatts of power, at least 7.4 kilowatts. Sometimes you can get bigger ones. So you can charge in sort of, um, you know, three or four times faster than your home power point. And that suddenly means that an overnight charge is feasible for pretty much every EV on the market. And, um, you know, keeping in mind that the average distance travelled by most Australians in a day is about 35 or 40 kilometres. So I guess for most people, most of the time, the home power point will do the job. But if you're, uh, you know, if you're doing weekends away or uh, don't have regular access to a, uh, an off-street charger, 
then you can um, you can use those other ones and uh, and get a faster charge into it overnight. But generally, an overnight charge will be fine, either with the home PowerPoint or with that wall box charger. There is typically a lot of concern around it raising their electricity bill. It can be quite costly. So a lot of people have opted to install solar panels. Is that something that would help uh, if you charge your EV daily? Yeah, absolutely. I guess the challenge with solar panels is you've, um, you know, I guess a lot of people are using their car during the day when the sun's shining. So it's not going to be sitting there charging. Um, Obviously, if you're lucky enough to to work from home or or have a job that allows you to keep the car at home, then yeah, absolutely. If the sun's shining, um, you've got the right sort of, you know, solar system producing, I guess, at least that uh, that two and a half kilowatts, 2.3 kilowatts, which which all of them will these days, then yeah, you can theoretically do a... uh, a top-up charge for nothing. Mm. In terms of how much EVs cost to to charge, I mean, if you look at, you know, most people in Australia will charge, or will, will be paying somewhere between about 25 and 30 cents per kilowatt hour of electricity. Your average EV has a, a battery capacity of usually around um, 50 to 60, sometimes 70 kilowatt hours. Some of the bigger ones are, are bigger than that, but, um, you know, the popular ones are around about the 60 kilowatt hour battery capacity. So a full charge will, will cost you something like 15 to $20 for that, for that vehicle. And it should take you, in most instances, somewhere between, say, 350 and 450, possibly 500 kilometres, something like that. Mm. So once you start comparing that to petrol, petrol I exactly. mean, most petrol cars, yeah, I mean, most petrol mm. cars will use, you know, between certainly over five litres per 100 kilometres, most of them around 10 litres per 100 kilometres. And these days we're playing, paying close to, t- to $2 a litre. So, you know, you, you're talking at least half, in many cases, a third or a quarter what you'd be paying in petrol. But the challenge with this is where EVs are a little bit different because obviously with a, with a petrol car, you know, most people refuel every week or so. So you get that $50 or $100 bill, maybe $150 in, in petrol and away you go. But, um, you know, with an EV, uh, with elect- electricity, you get your electricity bill every quarter, for example, so all of a sudden it comes in and you see an extra $100, $200 on the bill and it's uh, it's obviously a little bit of bill shock in that regard. But in terms of the outright running cost of an EV, certainly a lot lower than um, than filling up with petrol. And we know people are switching to electric vehicles for a number of reasons, the most obvious being it's, it's consumption of, of less fuel. So tell us about some of the other benefits of an electric vehicle versus a normal petrol or diesel car. Yeah, so I guess one of the big ones is you never have to visit a petrol station again. You can um, you can <laughs> do all your charging at home, leave every day with a with effectively a full tank with a full um, full battery pack. Um, the other the other big ones maintenance. So you know I touched on earlier, you don't need to to touch the electric motors. You still need to service an electric vehicle. They still need to check things like the brakes. They need to check the suspension system and do overall checks um, on the vehicle. But it's far simpler. So many of the EVs, for example, have two-year service intervals. Um, you know, most cars these days have a, a six to twelve-month service interval. So straight away, you're sort of halving the number of times you've got to take it in for a service, and the servicing costs tend to be a lot cheaper. So you end up with a um, with a vehicle that's a uh, a lot cheaper to um, to service once you are getting it serviced. So so those running costs once you're owning the car, that's where some of the payback comes in. And obviously, an electric car, the price of an electric car is a lot more than a petrol-powered car. So your cheapest electric car on the market today is $45,000. Most of them have a ten dollars to $20,000 premium over an equivalent petrol-powered model. 
So I guess people are going to want to see that payback at some point. And as I said, the, the running costs, the ownership uh, experience with an electric car tends to be that um, you're going to spend a lot, lot, uh, a lot less mm. on it um, when you've got it and they're a lot more convenient. That's right. I mean, even though you'll be saving money on running costs, of course, the initial price of entry is what puts people many off. So yeah. generally speaking, what are the, some of the main reasons why EVs are more expensive? Let me take a guess. Is it the battery? Yeah, battery, you know it. So, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much number one. So, number one, yeah. So the batteries aren't cheap. Yeah, I mean, bat yeah. batteries are – so the electric motors, they're pretty simple. They're relatively cheap. As I said, the rest of the car is more or less like a um, – you know, like the cars we've been driving for decades. Mm. Um, but it's the batteries. The battery packs are very expensive. And, look, you get that. I mean, anyone who's gone in and tried to buy – you know, a power tool, for example, and, and wanted to buy the extra battery for the power tool, they can be $150, $200 to get an extra battery for it. Exactly. Um, similarly, when you when you replace the battery on your phone or your laptop or something like that, again, they can be a relatively expensive component. And if you look at the, as I said, a, a battery pack in an EV can be half a tonne worth of batteries. And, uh, and yeah, they can be pretty expensive. So there can be tens of thousands of dollars worth of battery in an electric mm. vehicle. And, and that's where the technology is in an electric vehicle. It's a bit weird. So you think about a petrol car and, you know, the technology is in the engine and the transmission and all that sort of stuff. But in an EV, the technology is in the battery pack. And, you, and you've got, uh, you know, electric, uh, sorry, um, tech companies around the world spending billions trying to develop better, better battery packs. And that's something that, um, that electric cars are also working towards. So mm. it's, uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty much purely in the batteries. It's, um, they're expensive yep. components and, um, and unfortunately it's the thing that does push the price of an electric vehicle up. So under current estimates, how long do most EV batteries last before they need to be replaced? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, any new car you buy, typically these days, the average sort of warranty on a new vehicle is usually about five years. Um, but e most EVs on the market have an additional warranty for the battery pack. Being that um, that big, expensive and obviously critical component to it, they put an additional uh, warranty on that. So most EVs cover the battery pack for about eight years, some of them up to 10 years, and they'll provide usually between 160 and 200,000 kilometres of, uh, of, of warranty coverage for that battery as well. So I guess if you look at that and say, well, Oh, sorry. And at the end of that, I guess at the end of that time, that eight years or 10 years, they, they have a, you know, batteries degrade and we see that in our phones and our, our laptop computers and so on. Mm. So you end up, they, they can carry less electricity the older they get. And it's the same with an electric car. But as I said, after that uh, eight or 10 years, the most of the manufacturers guarantee that you'll have at least 70% of the original capacity of the battery. So the rest of the car should drive pretty much the same, but you'll just have slightly less range, slightly less driving range. Than, um, than what you previously had. That said, that 30% that drop-off is an absolute worst-case scenario. So most EVs, most of the, the engineers and so on I've spoken to say, you know, that is absolute worst-case scenario, treating the battery the worst you can, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and most of them will have far more than that after that time. And I guess if you consider that they're putting an eight-year warranty on the battery, they're clearly expecting it to last far longer than that. So, so I guess, you know, as with your phone, it's, it's pretty much um, life of the vehicle, but, uh, but an electric car will last far longer. The battery in it will last far longer. And some people may be wondering how, how do, they, how do the car makers get a battery to last that long when, you know, I struggle to get my phone to last three or four years. It's usually, <laughs> usually dead by that time. Exactly. Um, and it, it comes down to a couple of things. One is most electric cars have 
liquid cooling and heating for the battery. So they have a separate cooling and heating system for the battery to try and keep it at the optimum temperature because batteries don't like being very cold or very hot. Um, they also have um, pretty advanced software to manage the, the individual cells and the voltage in those cells across the battery pack. So they can monitor the battery um, and they also, you know, touched on when we talked about charging earlier. So how much charge the, the car wants to take on, a lot of that is down to maintaining the longevity of the battery. So looking after the battery. So again, at, at certain times, at certain, um, so, you know, very close to the top of its uh, charge, for example, once it's up to 80 or 90%, the car will actually start pulling the battery charge down, pulling the, uh, the charge coming out of the wall down to try and protect the battery pack. So it's, it's basically down to, as I said, temperature control and software control and software management of the, the battery pack to make sure they can get longer out of it. And by doing that, they end up, uh, end up extending the life. And you'll see a lot of electric cars have actually got, um, got a setting in the, uh, the char like when you go into the screen in the charge settings, mm. they'll actually have a, a setting there for the maximum charge, so how much you'd like to put in the battery. And what they basically recommend is, if you can, um, if you can keep that, uh, if you can, you know, for most driving, most of your around town driving, don't charge it over say eighty percent. So keep the battery charge under eighty percent, and then when you need to go on a road trip, you can top it up to one hundred percent because they're saying that last little top up from eighty to one hundred percent, over time, over many many years of doing that, you're going to uh, degrade the battery a little bit quicker, and um, and that's what I've had some engineers also say to me. If you want to extend the life of the, the battery in your phone, um, you know, only ever charge it to eighty or ninety percent, and mm. never let it get down below about ten percent, and then you'll find your battery lasts a bit longer. So it's um, one way to extend the life of your phone battery as well. Exactly. So we established before that the cost of EVs are a lot more expensive to purchase in comparison to diesel or petrol cars, but are we going to see them become steadily more affordable or will we continue to see a price increase, you know, due to their demand given the imminent ban on the sale of diesel and petrol vehicles? Yeah, it's a good question. It's, um, uh, you know, a lot of people have expected EVs to come down in price significantly. And actually, over the last 18 or 24 months, we've actually seen prices creep up. They've mm. actually gone up slightly on a lot of the EVs, partly because of other factors, you know, shipping and, um, and inflation and so on. But um, I, I don't think you're going to see EV prices come down dramatically. I think they'll come down a bit. I think they'll come down, um, you know, maybe sort of 10 or 15% on where they are now. But I don't think they're going to come down dramatically. The other thing we are seeing as well is the prices of petrol and diesel cars increasing. And part of that is because to meet the stricter emissions regulations, particularly overseas, the car makers are having to invest more heavily in, um, in the engine technology and so on to clean those engines up. So they're actually having to, uh, to spend more, which is bringing that price difference between the petrol cars and the, and the electric cars. It's, it's narrowing that price difference between them. So, so as I said, I don't think we're going to see electric car. I don't think we'll ever see a sub $30,000 electric car, for example. We may get $35,000 or $40,000 electric cars, but I don't think we're going to see them below $30,000. I think they're, uh, they're always going to have a price premium on them. Mm. And what you're seeing now is a lot of the car makers, instead of talking about, I guess, the outright initial cost of an electric car, they're talking about the total cost of ownership. So what it costs you to own that car over, say, five or 10 years and uh, how that cost of ownership can come down. So, so yeah, I mean, that's the, the unfortunate thing with an electric car. You know, obviously, once you own one, it's cheaper to own one. But getting into it in the first place, Mm. The prices on them today 
are unfortunately out of some people's reach and that's going to be uh, a challenge that needs to be addressed but um, as I said I don't think we're going to see bargain basement electric cars anytime soon. What about in terms of if you want to sell your electric vehicle in the future? I mean do they you know electric vehicles tend to drop faster than that of petrol powered cars. Are we unlikely to see a, you know, a high resale value in the near future of electric vehicles? So EVs had a pretty bad reputation for resale value until about probably 18 months ago, two years ago. It's actually switched around a bit now. So you're actually getting fairly strong residual values on electric cars. Teslas have always been strong, but we're now seeing the strong resale values across a lot of them. Uh, there's probably a few exceptions in there. Some of the really cheap ones that aren't overly desirable as a new car, that sort of flows through to the used car market as well. But what we're seeing is a lot of um, new EVs have got a fair bit of technology in them. Some of them look pretty modern and futuristic. And uh, and as I said before, they're, they're pretty good to drive a lot of them, good performance and so on. So those ones tend to hold their value pretty well. So they're, um, so they're actually standing up fairly strongly. So so looking at those resale values, um, you know, on, on sources such as Redbook, which is one of the big um, data valuation companies, uh, they, they all their figures are reporting that, um, that, yeah, EVs are holding up pretty well at the moment. So I, I would expect that trend to continue a fair bit. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it'll reverse. I think the, uh, the interest in EVs and the, the demand for them is certainly fairly strong and that does flow through to that, that used car market and ultimately the used car market's pretty simple. It comes down to supply and demand. If you get a lot of people wanting something, they're prepared to pay a bit more. So it's um That's right. yeah, I think they'll be they'll be reasonably strong. Now is an electric vehicle for everyone or is it limited in terms of who it will be most suitable for? So for example, there's people who drive on longer journeys, there's people who do a lot of driving on the freeway. Would an EV suit those kinds of people? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, the short story, no, an EV is not for absolutely everyone. Um, I think the, the people that they're going to be hardest to satisfy over the next, say, five or 10 years are people who do travel those big distances, often to remote areas, but also people who are towing, people who are towing, you know, a horse float or a caravan or whatever it might be. Because once you're towing, with an EV, you significantly reduce how far it can travel between charges. So all of a sudden, that uh, you know, you have to stop a lot more frequently to try and charge up. So they're the people I think who are really going to struggle with it. Um, but I, I would say, for more than ninety percent of the population, comfortably, um, they wouldn't have a problem switching to an EV. I think uh, you know, certainly there's a lot of two-car families around um, around Sydney, and uh, a lot of those families today, if they could afford it, could easily switch to a, uh, an electric vehicle. There wouldn't be the slightest problem with, uh, with switching over. Um, they could keep one car for the big, big road trips and one car for predominantly um, around town. But look, even when you do those big road trips, it's, um, it is viable to be able to do it in an electric car. I, I recently did a trip from Sydney to the Gold Coast and back in an EV. There are some challenges. You do have to think about it more than you would with a petrol car. You have to plan ahead as to where you think you're going to charge um, and, and factor in a sort of 20-minute, half-hour stop to be able to get that charge on board. So it, it, it is slightly slower. And as I said, you've got to do a bit more thinking about it to get there. But if you look at what uh, governments around the country are doing with charging networks and they're investing billions of dollars in charging networks around the country. So across New South Wales, they're, they're pretty much touching every corner of the state. 
perhaps with the uh, the exception of far northwest, but um, pretty much everywhere else. Uh, even today, you can you can, as I said, with a bit of planning, you can get there. And in the next few years, I think it'll be far more viable. But um, but look, to answer your question, no, it won't suit absolutely everyone, but I think it can suit the vast majority of the population. But for someone who does opt for an EV. What is your advice in terms of how they should be driving it? I mean, we know there's a lot of factors affecting driving range, um, things like, you know, traffic conditions, you know, people who drive very aggressively, um, they're not going to, to reap all the benefits from driving an EV. Well, weirdly, they'll probably they'll probably get more benefits than they would if they were in a petrol car because of that regenerative braking that, uh, that I touched on earlier. So... Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that the thing where EVs tend to be not as good is higher speeds. Um, so, so with I guess most people with their petrol car when they you know around town they'll find that it uses more fuel than when they get out on the open road. At which point they see it starts uh, starts being more fuel efficient. But I find there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. So you don't get that benefit from being on a on a country road in an EV. So it uses usually a similar amount. Sometimes it'll even use more when you're cruising on a country road because of that uh, that higher speed thing that they're not as um, not as good with. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, aggressive driving, as I said, look, really aggressive driving. If you're doing, you know, emergency stops the whole time, then, yeah, that's going to be a challenge that uh, you actually go past the limits of what that regenerative braking can do. But, um, but for most around town, um, you'll actually find that an EV will work pretty well. So for a lot of people, it should do a, a reasonable job. Mm. And in terms of how to drive them, yep. I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be driving them any differently. Really, just drive them <laughs> like you did your petrol car. They're um, you know the, the idea is that they're supposed to be no, they're supposed to be fairly normal. And um, and yeah, I'd uh, for most people just drive them normally. Now another common question is associated with its safety during a crash, and and there's been a bit of concern about the potential for the battery pack to catch fire if it's damaged or exposed to extreme heat. So how safe are electric vehicles in emergency situations? Yeah, so there's a bit of, there's a few factors going on here. One is, well, for starters, I guess, emergency services are onto it. So if you ever look in New South Wales, for example, you look on the number plates of a hybrid car or an electric car and you'll see a little EV symbol. And that EV symbol's on there to tell emergency services that it's got a high voltage battery pack in there. So the fire engine and uh, the rescue people who come to, to potentially save people from that car, they're aware that they're dealing with uh, potentially high voltage. But the cars themselves also have a lot of uh, lot of things going on in them. So um, they have battery shutoffs, so they have the ability to shut down the high voltage system if there's been an impact. So if airbags are set off and so on, they can shut down that high voltage system. Um, they also have a protective cell around the battery pack, so they'll have a, a structure that's designed to stop intrusion into the battery pack. Um, ultimately, you can have a crash big enough that will damage the battery pack and potentially can lead to a fire. And you can say exactly the same thing about a petrol car or a diesel car. So you've got, uh, you know, in those you might have 50 or 100 litres of highly flammable material, usually sitting under the, the back seat passenger's bums. And um, that's where, you know, again, if you have a big enough crash, you can ignite that petrol, you can ignite that diesel. And that's where, um, uh, you know, the cars are designed to try and minimise the chances of that. It can still happen in both vehicles. What you tend to find is they're different types of fires. So in a, in a petrol or diesel car, it'll usually be a fairly intense and fairly quick fire, but one that will, uh, will die down fairly quickly after that. With an EV, it might, it could take minutes or even hours for the fire to start. 
and they can be very difficult to put those fires out. So they, the uh, again, the the fire departments and so on have been have done training and so on to understand what's required to do that, and are aware of those damage, uh, aware of those challenges. But um, but yes, any time you've got energy, there is always a risk associated. But as I said, the uh, the car makers try to minimise those risks with design and with uh, with software and so on to try and do that, and the early the early data coming out from overseas predominantly is that electric cars have a lesser propensity to catch fire than petrol cars. It's still there. It's still a um, potential for that to happen, but it's um, it is uh, it's certainly still a, a possibility. Well, our last question today is in regards to its positive impacts on the environment, which is a hot topic when we speak about hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles. Um, why are they considered safer for the environment? Well, the big thing, and this is there's a big debate going on about this at the moment. I mean, the big thing is obviously what comes out of it, a, a an electric car is you have no CO2 emissions. You've got nothing, you've got no exhaust pipe, you've got nothing coming out of that. There's then an argument that says, well, hang on, the electricity in a lot of parts of the country comes from coal or, or uh, other, other dirty sources, so therefore the CO2 is just being shifted elsewhere. To some extent, that's right, although uh, studies have shown that even using regular grid electricity, you're going to have um, you're going to have a lesser CO2 impact on the environment by driving an electric car. So, so CO2 is the big one. That's the thing that, uh, that you know, is the, the main greenhouse gas that um, has been associated with global warming. So it's, uh, you know, being able to reduce those, that CO2 output is a massive one. There's also another component here, which is the human health component. So you know, cars are, cars these days are a lot cleaner than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago, but they still have noxious gases coming out their exhaust pipes. So they, uh, you know, every time you burn petrol or diesel, you've got uh, nasties coming out the back of the car. Um, obviously, EVs don't have that. So there's also a human human health element here. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people who um, who suffer from uh, allergies and suffer from from uh, those those noxious gases that come out of exhaust cars, uh, so out of um, petrol cars. So so there's that element too. So, so it's an environmental element. It's a human health element. So there's, um, you know, unfortunately we've got to go through, I guess, a bit of pain to get to that uh, that point of, of really benefiting from EVs when we have fully renewable energy on the grid and we have um, uh, we have, you know, obviously I guess there's the the initial challenge with manufacturing the vehicle. You've got to dig the uh, materials and so on out of the ground, and that is currently relatively CO2 intensive, but um, yeah, I guess there's a, a journey on the way to that um, that zero emissions world. Look, I think we've covered all the important bits about owning an EV overall. Is it something you would recommend people switch to? I think for a lot of people, yes. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, there's obviously a cost involved, but it's something that I would certainly recommend people investigate a bit more and by saying that, you know, a lot of um, a lot of parts of the country have rebates and incentives for EVs. So in New South Wales, for example, with the more affordable EVs, you can get a three thousand dollar rebate. You can also not pay stamp duty, which can save you up to three thousand dollars as well. Um, and the federal government has been making noises about um, uh, being able to, uh, or for EVs to be FBT exempt, so not pay fringe benefits tax. So at the very least, as I said, I'd get people to consider it and have a chat to their accountant about whether it might make sense from financially in taking advantage of those uh, those incentives out there. Because it's um, yeah, as I said, between the running costs and the incentives, you can uh, you can figure that they can actually be a um, a relatively vi- viable alternative for a lot of people.
Lovely. Well, uh, look, Toby Hagon, motoring expert and journalist, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, where can people go for more information? So I publish a website called evcentral.com.au. So we've got a lot of electric car information on there. Lovely. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time on the show today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Nadia. Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all on Keeping Up With The Current. Get your news fix for the day. Stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on Keeping Up With The Current.